welcome to Inside Track from Trustonic. This podcast brings together some of the leading minds from the mobile and automotive security industries to really get under the skin of how those worlds have been shaped, what drives them today, and what we can expect in the future. So please take a listen as we go beyond the headlines with the experts and market makers in their field. Welcome to this edition of Inside Track, our first Automotive Inside Track. I'm Andrew Till, the General Manager of Automotive with Trustonic, and I'm joined today by Richard Hayton, our Chief Innovation Officer. The focus of this Inside Track is going to be on what has become a very hot topic in the automotive industry, and that is the integration of in-car digital assistance. As we start to see a radical change in how we think about the experiences that are delivered into vehicles and the way that we interact with vehicles, everything from enhanced multimedia experiences all the way through to the future of autonomous vehicles, how we spend our time and how we engage with the technology around us will change. And the role of voice has a very powerful position in enabling that change. What I'd like to do today is explore with Richard um, a number of key areas that we're starting to see become very important to our customers and I'm sure the industry at large, Um, particularly as there are, like in most technology innovations, many competing different options available, emerging and fluid standards, as well as a uh, a range of potentially new and exciting uh, services and capabilities coming into the vehicle that will make use of this technology. So before we start, let's get into the key question and and say, what is a digital voice agent? And so maybe Richard, if you could uh, just share a few thoughts around this. And then we can move on to some of the uh, the more detailed questions. Sure. Good to join you here today. So there's been all, um, voice systems in cars for quite a long time, but some of those early examples didn't work very well. And they were sort of dismissed as gimmicks. But technology's come an awful long way. We're all used to having Alexa or Siri or Google Home and using them outside of the vehicle, and they work very well. So to a certain extent, It's about providing some of those same capabilities in a vehicle, but there's a much more pressing reason, and that is safety. If you are interacting with a service using your voice, your hands can stay on the wheel, your attention can stay on what you're doing, and you can simply say, turn the radio on, for example, rather than go searching for a button. That's a really powerful motivation, but there's a lot more you can do with a digital assistant. So as well as being able to access those functions that you associate with digital assistant, like playing music or asking it how to bake a cake, much more usefully, you can interact with the car. So you can do things related to the auxiliary functions of your vehicle. Rather than having to go search for switch gear, you just ask a question. And if you're not quite sure what to ask for, the digital assistant can help you. So if you want to say, it's too hot in here, or turn the air conditioning on, or open the window, it can work out what you're trying to get at and work out what you're trying to do. And that makes it really, really powerful. So it's going to be much more than just a USB Alexa stuck into your car. It's much more about changing the way we interact with the vehicle. Excellent. So one of the features that uh, I think often comes to mind when consumers are looking at uh, digital assistance, um, you know, things like, can Alexa turn on my car? So is that going to be something that we'll see in the uh, near future? Near future, probably not. I mean, at the moment, we have to drive the cars for the most part. But there's a lot of auxiliary functions that Alexa really can help with. If, you know, obvious things like changing the radio station, but what about adjusting the heating? 
What about checking how much fuel you've got or telling you, you know, where you could get a coffee on your journey? These are auxiliary functions which are related to your experience in the car, which are very helpful, and they're more and more tied to the vehicle. As we go towards more autonomous driving, then you will get that deeper integration. The sort of capabilities I think you can have is things like, um, you know, maybe you're driving along and you can just say, hey, Alexa, slow down. You know, that, that's something that could be perfectly safe to do. Something like take the next exit in a more autonomous situation, or please stop at the next coffee stop. These are the sorts of capabilities you could imagine happening, but they will, they will come as, auto, um, as autonomous driving comes. You can expect more and more of that to be voice controlled, but it won't, it won't happen until autonomous driving is at the right level. Excellent. I, I love the idea of deeper integration. And I think removing that friction from how you engage with the technology, but also how you discover the new, uh, the new technology. Um, but of course, there's always the trade-off. New technology and, and deep integration can often go hand in hand with you know, potentially opening up new security challenges or vulnerabilities in the software stack. Um, so you know, as we think about what comes next what what are the security challenges in 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 terms of deeper integration into the vehicle software the deeper you go the, the greater the number of challenges and and as with any voice based assistant you are giving up some degree of personal privacy to the, to those who are providing that service to you you're giving them an increasing amount of data so there's a bunch of security concerns which are really not to do with the car but it's to do with the fact that i'm now putting more of my personal um, preferences, my personal experience in the hands of some third-party provider. When it comes to the car itself, obviously, if you can get Alexa or another voice assistant to start or stop your car or change your navigation, then that could be used um, you know, to do bad things in, in all sorts of different ways. So security is a very real concern. But some of that's in the future. As the integration gets very deep, the security concerns get very deep as well. In the shorter term, it's some of the slightly more mundane concerns which are actually very important. Things like brand reputation. If I am a cloud service provider providing one of these voice assistants, or equally if I'm a vehicle OEM who's using one of them, I don't want a data breach of any sort. That's going to damage my brand significantly. It doesn't have to be at the worst end of the scale of, of, of a crash or, or, or something terrible like that, though obviously you know, everyone wants to avoid that. But even a loss of privacy, we saw with Dieselgate, the sorts of problems that you can have that can damage a reputation uh, of a company. So imagine, for example, that this was a way that people could steal cars or a way that people could steal data. All of these things would be very bad, both for the vehicle OEM and for the cloud provider. So, Security is important, and, and everyone sort of knows that. But what's interesting is how the regulators and others are beginning to say, this is not optional. We don't want to be looking at this retrospectively and saying, well, we should have done better security. Uh, much of the time, we talk about things like WP29, which is a new standard putting the onus on cybersecurity onto the vehicle manufacturer. Now, there's not spe specific provisions for voice in there today. Though voice is, you know, it's part of the experience, so it is covered. But you can expect there to be more and more of that in future, particularly when voice control gets to do those deeper capabilities like control navigation or allow you, you know, even being able to stop a car you know, it could be dangerous in some circumstances. 
So I think there's going to be a lot more regulation on the security. In terms of technical means, well, there's a whole load of things to do, and this is, you know, this is not a very technical talk, but you need to integrate uh, well with the device to make sure that a cyber attack of any sort can't subvert the system. So things like secure storage of the user identity and the user personal data, which is used to register it as being my Alexa account rather than yours, but the keys to connect to the cloud, the software that's running, which might be attacked by a cyber attack. You know, it's a very broad set of needs. And in some ways, voice is, it has some unique characteristics because you know, if, if as an attacker can make a sound appear inside the vehicle, then potentially they could subvert. It's not like you have to steal the key, the key out of my hand. You know, you could imagine a situation where I'm playing a game on a cell phone inside a car, and it sends commands to the Alexa, perhaps at a range which I can't hear. There's some very subtle security requirements which are going to come in, which are really interesting for security researchers and quite scary for the rest of us. Excellent. Thank you, Richard. I think to pick up on, on one of those areas, I think it does touch on security and it touches on regulation, but we recently hosted a webinar on in-vehicle payments. And as part of that, the concept of, you know, strong authentication, two-factor authentication became one of the, uh, one of the central themes and voice authentication was seen as a, a way of providing biometric authentication of the, the vehicle user without overly uh, undue complexity. Do you think that this is something that is realistic, that, that digital agents will support voice authentication for these types of services moving forwards and, and indeed for identification of who is in the vehicle? So it, again, it, it's a journey. So today, it's not really good enough to authenticate users to the level that would be required for, say, payment but it is good enough to distinguish between different users. So for example, I can communicate with an Alexa or a Google Home and, and my wife can communicate with the same device and the device knows which of us it's talking to. So it can provide tailored experiences based on my preferences or my account. Um, so you're going to get that first. You're going to get identification of a small set of known uh, vehicle occupants, not just a driver, uh, and their preferences and, their, and, and what they're allowed to do, which will, of course, vary. You may not want the kids to be able to change the music, whereas you, you might want the front seat passengers to be able to do that. Um, so, yes, it's going to start with identification, but there's a huge interest in making that move all the way to authentication. Imagine that I'm driving along, or maybe I've just stopped my car, and I want to recharge it. Being able to say, I want to buy a coffee, and not have to scurry about for a credit card or mobile device or enter a PIN. It's very, very attractive option. Today, the technology is not there, but there's no fundamental reason why it won't get there. It's just, again, with, with all of these things, it, it's a journey. So those things will probably happen, but the first set of uses we're going to see is more about determining who the current driver is, who's the person who asked to change the music, and are they allowed to do that? Excellent. Um... So with, with this new landscape and the digital assistant set to, to play a, a very powerful role with companies like Google and Amazon and Apple, et cetera, providing these solutions, um, is there a risk that there is a, 
um, you know, a battle over who owns that that data around the vehicle. Is it the OEM? Is it the you know the software provider? Is it the digital assistant platform? Is it the, the vehicle owner? And and sort of also you know we've seen here in Europe all of the GDPR regulations being um, rolled out. But are we set for a major uh, choose the word battle um, between between these different companies over the uh, the ownership of the data, particularly in light of the value that this data potentially provides moving forwards? I think the answer is almost certainly, but it's not it's not a straight fight. So we saw this in the mobile space where for a time, individual mobile OEMs tried to build their own services. But over time, increasingly, it's, it's sort of been the big three or four who've won out. You know, Apple, Google, Amazon, um, and to a certain extent, Microsoft are, are really the, the, the ones who are becoming the data harvesters of personal information who provide the digital assistance and who are getting this useful data. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't others who have legitimate interests in the data. So people operating vehicle fleets or manufacturing vehicles, they would love to have some of that data which supports what they're trying to do. You know, if, if a vehicle OEM better understands the sorts of journeys that it's, that it's, its customers are, are undertaking and when they undertake them and knowing it's learning about the demographics of their users, the length of journey times, um, times of day that this happens there's a huge wealth of data that could be useful for them in designing better cars and in better charging infrastructure and there's many others who would like this data as well so at one level everybody wants the data however the fight today is a little different really it's a battle over over the user experience the big cloud players want to really own the user experience and this is nothing new so apple wants everyone to use siri uh, Google wants everyone to use Google Home. Amazon wants everyone to use Alexa. And that's not just in vehicle, that's throughout their lives. So that battle's been going on for a long time, and this is just you know, a, another little subfight of that. But what the interesting battle at the moment really is about the experience of somebody in a car. Today, if I buy a BMW, I have a BMW experience. If I buy a Mercedes, I have a Mercedes experience. But increasingly, the question is, do I get that OEM experience, or do I get an Android experience, or do I get an Amazon experience? And it's almost certainly a case of a little bit of a blend. I may prefer as an individual to have the same experience when using my Alexa at home and my Alexa in the car, but that may not align fully with the brand owner. The person who built that vehicle may prefer that I see this as a Volvo or a BMW or whatever, and they want me to see that experience. So there is a little bit of a battle, but it's, it's a little bit more hearts and minds than data today. But I think I think it'll move to being sort of a, an all-out fight for data later. It may be a battle that ends in peace. It may be that it's about data sharing rather than who owns it. Google's and Amazon's and other cloud players' interest in the data is quite different from the vehicle OEMs. So they could coexist. It's not that they're all trying to provide the same services and competing with each other. So they may find a way to share this. But you mentioned GDPR as well. And I think it's really interesting that a lot of this is very personal data. And a lot of consumers are not really aware either of what data is taken or what it's used for. And ensuring there is sufficient user awareness and user acceptance, I think that's going to be a very interesting battle in itself. Um, 
It's easy. A lot of us just learn to say no to every, every disclaimer that comes up. But if you do that, you lose the services. It's actually, there's an awful lot of useful stuff that I as a consumer can get out of sharing my data and downsides as well. So finding that balance is a, is a broader societal question. And Alexa or equivalents in a vehicle, it's got all of those same questions. So the other thing that's, uh, that's worth saying here is some vehicle manufacturers are deciding that it's not their battle and they don't want to be in it. So rather than deciding that they are going to support just Alexa or they're going to support just Google Home, they're providing sort of what we call a multi-headed systems. So the idea there is that you, I as a consumer can choose. And that works really well because there will be some percentage of the population who think Alexa is the best thing since sliced bread, but others who signed up to a Google view of the world or a Siri view of the world. And there's nothing worse than having to, to use two or three different ones if, if they all have their different nuances. So this multi-headed approach is a, is a really consumer-centric view of this, but it, it's certainly a way of, of sort of abdicating and saying, look, let's let the, let the cloud guys fight it out. And, and when a winner emerges, or maybe a winner never emerges, um, you know, then we'll do the deeper integration. So I think there's different strategies by different OEMs. It's, it's a quite a live space. Excellent. Thank you. So, I mean, I'm getting very excited about, about, you know, being able to use these services in my next vehicle. Maybe let's uh, take a look at, you know, which vehicles today are supporting services like Alexa? Um, you know, how, how prevalent are these on the marketplace and, and how will that grow over time? So there's a number of OEMs who support this today. And within each OEM, there's different ranges of models. And, and there's a lot more who are you know, talking about it, but not necessarily doing it. I wouldn't like to try and come up with a definitive list today. I think it's something you really do need to check, not just on the manufacturer, but also on the particular model number. Um, and sometimes these features are specific to particular to versions of, of the IVI unit or the, you know, the internal communication. So when I buy a car, I might have an option of, do I want to get the low end, the high end or the mid end, mid -end audio? Or sometimes Alexa only comes with one of those, or maybe Alexa comes with one of those, but, but Google Home as an option only comes with a different one. So it is a little bit buyer beware. You know, do, it is becoming more of a buying decision. People want their, their integrated digital experience. Uh, some manufacturers are going you know, all in and are effectively, you look at their IVI unit, which is what we call the sort of the central information and entertainment unit in a car. And some of them essentially are big Android tablets because they've said, this is what the consumer wants. It wants to be familiar. It just looks like their phone. Others prefer to give a, a more brand specific experience where Alexa might be there, but a little bit more buried. It's a little bit like the ability to connect your phone through uh, Android Auto or, or CarPlay uh, for Apple. Sometimes it's, it's buried in a submenu and it replaces the built-in car function. Sometimes it's more integrated. So. Not a straight answer, and I apologize for that, but it is really a case of you need to look carefully. It is not simply a universal feature yet, like a, an FM radio used to be. That, that's understandable. I think um, uh, what I have seen recently is also a number of, of OEMs have been deploying over the air to, uh, to vehicles as well in, in order to try and bring you know, enhanced value to customers that maybe bought a vehicle in the last couple of years where there's already embedded 
connectivity. So I think you're absolutely right. It's probably best to go and check on the manufacturer or maybe Google or Amazon's website for the supported models. Absolutely. Um, it's a whole new topic and a very broad one, but this ability to have a car update its software and get new features. And Tesla, you know, famously the ones who started this, but it's really significantly changing how we think about this technology. Uh, and, and being able to you know, have new features added to your vehicle is, is something that's really exciting for a generation that's used to getting a new phone, perhaps significantly more frequently than they can afford a new car. I think particularly in these current times, that's a very, very good point to make, Richard. Maybe building on from that and, and also from the previous question, um, when we look at a digital agent in a vehicle, let's say, uh, let's just stick with the theme of Alexa for, uh, for the point of argument, but is this going to be the same experience in every single vehicle or, or is there scope for differentiation? And, and that's another another piece of complexity. And there is great scope for differentiation. And, and really, that's a great thing. So to some extent, you know, Alexa is going to do all of the things that you would expect Alexa to do as a baseline. But then what's happening is that uh, OEMs are tweaking both the language and the feature set. So let's take a simple example. If I'm in an electric car like a VW ID3, I might say, how many miles do I, till I need to recharge? Now, that same question in a GM truck might be how many miles until I refuel. It's a subtle difference, but it's really important that you talk to your car in a natural way and that you don't have to learn the special terminology. You just say whatever's natural for the vehicle you're in. And that will vary, both because of you know, simple differences by, between electric and gas in the, in the te terminology you use, but also because different manufacturers use different terminology for some of these more advanced features. So if you're avoiding the need for physical buttons and instead you're, you're using voice commands, then you know, is it called DSC or stability control or is it or something else? It will depend on the vehicle. So being able to tune that language is really important. But it won't generally be a buying decision. Do I, you know, what's the right words? It should just be what words you expect. Another area of differentiation, though, is Alexa skills and equivalents for other platforms. So we're used to the idea of, of skills as these sort of add-ins to let, it, let, let your Alexa do more things. But one of the things that vehicle OEMs are doing is they're adding Alexa skills that fit with their brand and their other capabilities. So, for example, um, one of the things that VW is pushing at the moment is something called WeScore, which is a way of allowing you to have access to sports scores. And they can do an Alexa skill to help integrate that so you can ask using voice in the car. That may or may not be something that makes exclusively available in the car or exclusively to their customers. It's up to their choice. So I think you're going to see these slightly closed market for Alexa skills that are focused on the particular features of, of, uh, of the vehicle you're in. Yeah. I've, I've got a vehicle with a soft top and obviously I would love to be able to ask Alexa to put the roof down. Um, that wouldn't make sense. In, in a different vehicle. So there could easily, I could imagine a skill to do that being added to my car. And as you mentioned about over the air, Alexa skills were great things to be able to add later. So I see lots of opportunity for, for, for specialization and it helps the, uh, the vehicle OEMs keep their brands and, and keep their differentiation while they, still, they may all be using the same underlying voice assistant. 
You know, Richard, living in the UK, I, I love the optimism of uh, asking Alexa to put the roof down. I think maybe asking Alexa to put the roof up is going to be. Put <laughs> well, it this way: if, if, it, if, if the sun does come out, I, I want it to. I want to be able to, you know, to shout very quickly and make something happen. Uh, absolutely. So listen, final question from my side, if uh, if you can give us a few more minutes of your time. I, I think um, we've covered a lot of ground, but how would you summarize? What are the what are the key benefits of, of integrating voice technology or a digital assistant into a vehicle? What are the what are the you know the big benefits that that as a consumer I am going to notice in my next vehicle? Well, not that many years ago, these were a little bit of a gimmick. You know, they they could do a few things, a voice assistant, even one in your home, but not much. But now the voice recognition is really good. The the intelligence behind it is really good. So it's just convenience. Convenience, but also safety. If you think about the number of times we've all taken our eyes off the road to fiddle with a control, whether it's changing the music or making the car warmer or adjusting the position of the seat or anything else, not having to do that is a huge safety benefit. Uh, and, And I just think it will become the natural way, maybe not the natural way we drive the car, at least not for a while, but the natural way we do all of those extras. The setting up the navigation, the changing the heating, the adjusting the mirrors. Being able to just use your voice is going to be very convenient and it keeps your attention on the road. So I think it's a huge benefit for everybody. And there's some fringe benefits as well. One of the trends to keep manufacturing costs down in cars has been removal of physical switched gear. You know, years ago, cars would have large numbers of manual switches for adjusting every little feature. But increasingly, these are moved to a touchscreen because it's cheaper. Uh, it's more universal, um, and there's less faults, there's less wiring. But touchscreens are not perfect. Um, voice isn't perfect either, but together they work really well. And so I can use my voice to control all of these auxiliary features. And increasingingly extreme circumstances, do I have to go searching in, in nested menus to work out how to do some obscure thing on my car? Generally, it's like I can, I can just ask Alexa, ask Siri, how do I do such and such? And it will teach me. But it'll tell me what the phrases are. That's a huge benefit to make cars more usable and more user-friendly. Excellent. Thank you. Very hard to argue with uh, without Richard. So I think we've covered an awful lot of ground uh, today. If we look at uh, you know, the introduction of digital voice technology and, and voice assistance into the vehicles, I, I would absolutely agree with you. It's gone from being a gimmick three or four years ago to a core piece of technology today that is helping to sell the vehicle, helping to make the new features. And, you know, there are, there are more and more features in every car. The discoverability is a major challenge, but I think the, the voice technology is making it easier for OEMs to present that to consumers in a, uh, in a very friendly, very quick to learn, easy to adopt uh, fashion. And I, I think, you know, some of the points you've made are, are very, very interesting about the way in which an OEM can now really differentiate. And it's not going to be the same experience. It will be tailored and unique and consistent with the brand. It's something that has always been a, a concern about sharing that brand space and, and how to, to retain really the uh, the relationship with a consumer, with the uh, the vehicle owner. Or uh, in these days, maybe it's the, uh, the more appropriate to say the vehicle user for, uh, for a period of time. Um, but building and re- maintaining that relationship when you have all of these different software experiences vying for attention, vying for uh, that, that customer loyalty. 
And I think the the other very exciting thing, and perhaps we didn't delve into too much detail, but you did touch on the the idea of um, you know multiple agents existing in a vehicle, and of course each each one of these agents has a different strength and a different you know set of USPs, and the the attractiveness of being able to to use the most appropriate one for the task that you want to achieve, I think will will have large amounts of appeal to. Uh, you know, to, whether it's a new vehicle buyer or somebody that is renting a, uh, you know, renting a vehicle and, and taking advantage of the sharing economy type type models that we're seeing proliferate now in the industry. Uh, so I think this is going to be extremely exciting. Um, it's a technology that is absolutely clear. It's here to stay. It's here for the long term. And I think, as you mentioned, it will become an integral part of the vehicle software architecture, especially as we move more and more towards the you know the fully autonomous uh, future, and again I think as you you highlighted you know, very critically that it is also a technology that can be protected and it can be delivered in such a way that it, it will keep your personal data um, safe and secure inside the vehicle and um, and deliver those experiences in a way that the consumer can really trust and engage with without uh, without concern. So, Richard, I would like to take uh, one last opportunity to thank you for spending the time with us today and sharing your thoughts. I hope everybody listening has found this of uh, interest. And if you would like to follow up, please feel free to reach out to us, drop us an email, and uh, we'll be very happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. Thank you.